friends, and welcome to Love Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and we are here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your lives in that order. And Andy, you had something for this one? I did. I wanted to start off with just a little bit of a anecdotal reflection on happiness. Oh. Okay, I'm terrified. Well, no, no, it's nothing to be terrified about. So, you know, at, at time of recording, I've lived here for for about three months, here being Asheville. Uh, you know, we've gone through a couple of snowstorms, and, you know, one of the very first topics I ever talked about was my love of the mountains, and talking about my childhoods in Colorado and and I, I knew I was going to be happy and excited to have snow back. But the other day, uh, due to random circumstances, I wound up walking your dog alone at night. Mm-hmm. And a recent snowfall had happened that day. And I took a moment where I I paused my podcast in my earbud for something and then was struck with the beautiful, soft, padded silence of a recent snowfall evening. It was just me, the dog, and peace. And beautiful, white, untouched snow just... There is something about snow that does something to the air where it just, it, it sounds different. Uh, it absorbs all your, a lot of your ambient noise. That, that thing. And I just was caught off guard with this moment of like pure contentment about being back in this environment that I had been gone from for so long that I had forgotten what that simple joy felt like. That is so sweet. <laughs> Holy shit, Andy. <laughs> I told you, nothing to be worried about. Well, no, it's... <laughs> okay, so here's the stupid part. Um, <laughs> you tell me about how you're struck with this sense of awe at a moment where you sit and look around in your you look at your surroundings and you're struck by the quiet of it and I remember having a conversation with Stephanie when we were walking Nico in the snow on a separate occasion and it being quiet and me just being like I fucking hate her <laughs> right. I hate how quiet and she and she's sitting here going why what, what is the quiet what's the quiet do to you and I'm like it makes me alone with my thoughts sure <laughs> and like I, I, I'm thinking this as you're talking about like absorbing this, and, and what you just had was you know a quiet moment of awe, and you know that's that is beautiful. That is a wonderful thing. That is an important thing to be able to experience. I mentioned, uh, you know, I talked about uh, we we both talked about. Um, you know, podcasts with Robert Evans on them on the last episode. I was listening to one the other day and they were reading through a series of um, Ben Shapiro short stories. Ah, sure. And making fun of them. Like, it's it's very much a comedy bit. But there's a point where, you know, they're reading through the story that's basically Ben Shapiro um, trying to kind of rip off 1984 and has a character who, like, 
looks at a star and the star like inspires him to think for himself but it's written very shitty yeah in fairness this is something ben shapiro wrote when he was in like his early 20s i think like and self-published like it's it's a crap book but robert evans said something that um struck me and he said um this is the writing of someone who i don't believe has ever experienced awe to do art well to be able to communicate artistically, to be able to really like just do this kind of work, you have to be capable of and experience all. And you're you're talking about that. Like you say it's you say it's a moment of happiness and I think there's things we can label to that. It's awe, it's gratitude. Yeah. Like you sound very like you you contextualize this in the context of like these were your childhood experiences and now you're kind of coming back to that. Like there is, I hear gratitude in your voice. I hear, damn it, Andy, making me feel shit. (laughs) I know it's your kryptonite. You and I have talked uh, privately and I think on the show, we, neither of us enjoy silence, Mm. but the difference is I hate ambient silence i hate the sound of an empty apartment where you still hear shit but mostly you hear how empty it is mm-hmm. i love encompassing silence i love putting in like a pair of earplugs and it just shuts out all of the random white noise and so that's you know the very same very similar sensation uh, in the snow the other night because it, everything was so muted and there's nowhere for the sound waves to go. I, I just enjoyed that sensation, but... No, it makes sense. I And I do totally get that, amb- that hatred of an ambient silence that, okay, it's quiet in the space, but the air conditioner's going off. I hear, like, the vaguest hints of footsteps in the next apartment over or the building settling, and it just... There's a reason people have white noise machines. It's yeah. a thing you can kind of focus in on. It's not silence, but it removes a lot of the things that bother about that kind of silence. Right. But I think that sounds like you hate that silence not because... You, you hate that silence because of its emptiness, not because it traps you with your own thoughts. Indeed, yes. And you are probably healthier mentally than I am. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Um, I don't know what to say to that, dear boy, other than <laughs> I'm always here for you. I know. I appreciate that. Uh, and you know what? I appreciate you saying that because I think that I don't sit and have moments of gratitude about where I am nearly often enough. And the reminders are helpful as much as, you know... You are a SpongeBob and I am a Squidward. You are a Starfire and I am a Raven. You know, it's funny. If someone doesn't know who Starfire and Raven are, that sounds very poetic. But, (laughs) but yeah, like you are, you are very effervescent and happy, and you are a dog and I am a cat, and and it helps sometimes to be reminded that there are those moments. I can't believe it's been three months since you've been. Since you've been here. I know, right? Like, you're over you're over at my place today, like, we're recording, but, like, it wasn't that long ago that you were, you know, 
staying here and dealing with the hell of moving and yep. now you've got your footing and you're coming over to help walk our dog when we are indisposed. And it's something I'm very grateful to do. Yeah, I think that's really where I'm getting at. And listeners, this is something you can do, Alex. This is something you can do. And I'm only bringing it up because it just hit me in the face like a snowball. Taking those quiet moments, even when you might not expect to find them, is just very nourishing for the soul, I think. That's so sweet and so pleasant, and I don't even want to add to it. Should we start the show? I think let's go ahead. Uh, Welcome to Love-Hate Relationship, everybody. At the start of every episode, Alex and I like to talk about whatever just floats through our minds and subject you to that. And then after such a thing, we get into the actual format of the show where one of us talks about something that we love, the other one then talks about something that they hate, and together we take yours and the internet's relationship questions and provide our perfectly unqualified advice. That's right. And uh, this time, uh, Andy, you have the love. And I'm intrigued by this one because, like, it's you hanging out in my wheelhouse but on a topic that I will admit, I don't know anything about. Listeners, I found a music producer Alex doesn't know, and it made me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hit me. I'm, I, I'm eager to learn. So I'm, I'm going to shatter the, the moments of joy and tranquility we were experiencing just a few seconds ago by asking you, Alex... How many certified number one hit songs had you written by the age of 25? Absolutely none, Andy. What kind of fucking question is that? <laughs> a very mean-spirited one, in fairness. When I was writing these notes, I didn't think we were going to get all sentimental and shit mm-hmm. beforehand. Um, so if it's less than 15, which we're establishing zero is less than 15, then it is less than music producer Benny Blanco. Mm-hmm. But don't worry, I haven't been eaten him either. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> so, yes, uh, dear dear listeners, we are talking about music producer Benny Blanco, who probably not a lot of you have heard of, even people in the music sphere, if Alex is any indication. Um, but you have absolutely heard his songs and have danced and sang along to them. Um, and, and I'm very happy to get into it. So just a, a tiny smattering of history. Uh, Benny Blanco was born March 8th, 1988 in Ruston, Virginia, and has become sort of a phenom in the mu- in the field of music producing. Mm-hmm. He was obsessed with music since childhood. I was reading a story about how, like, he was seven at some sleepaway camp with a boombox that you could record yourself on and then yeah. play it back. And just basically obsessed over this thing, started making beats at a very young age, and just kind of fell in love with music and stayed in love with music in a way that not a lot of people do and just has been doing this for forever. Um, Benny Blanco began apprenticing under music producer Dr. Luke in 2007 and co-produced and co-wrote several songs, including Katy Perry's Teenage Dream, Britney Spears' Circus, and Kesha's TikTok. And just in case you are new to the show, disclaimer, yes, we are aware, Dr. Luke is a piece of shit, fuck him royally, hope he's dead. 
Yes, Dr. Luke is a monstrous human being, and I, I only bring him up for the factual accuracy of it. Totally fair. Um, you know, I, I went ahead and looked into it after deciding this was going to be my topic, because I was like, oh, God, I really don't want to find something about Benny Blanco defending Dr. Luke. And I that that does not seem to exist on the internet. What uh, Blanco has spoken about in terms of, you know, the entire unfortunate, tragic Dr. Luke Kesha situation is basically laying out that, you know, he has had no relationship with Dr. Luke for over a decade at this point. Um, you know, he worked under the guy in sort of a protege kind of way, mm -hmm. but was never like in the know or necessarily privy in a damning way to the messed up shit Dr. Luke was trying to do to, you know, his female artists. Sure. And I, I think that's important to, you know, at least contextualize, yes, he clearly worked under this guy, and certainly there's a, you can wonder, but... It, the optics, at the very least, are good. Kevin Smith apprenticed under Harvey Weinstein and has since, you know, completely disconnected everything from him and that company. Right. Understood. Absolutely. So turning the key focus there to being, so this is the, listeners, this is the guy who co-wrote TikTok. Mm -hmm. And Kesha's TikTok is probably like the defining song of the high school party generation that we are accustomed to. I remember sitting in the high school theater dressing room with you, hearing about brushing my teeth with a bottle of Jack for the first time. Mm -hmm. And this is this is the guy, you know, in, in the same way that Kesha and Dr. Luke were on there, this this guy also contributed to creating that song. Cool. Before I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm so, uh, starting in 2011, Blanco began working on his own and continued to just put out this kind of music. Uh, Co-writing and producing Maroon 5's Moves Like Jagger, Gym Class Heroes' Stereo Hearts, and 303's Don't Trust Me. Mm -hmm. Which is the other, like... Which is the other, like, in my mind, defining fuckboy party song that wasn't written by LMFAO. That, uh, that era, like, 303 and Kesha of that era had very much that same energy, and that energy is... I'm always a little sweaty, and my sweat kind of smells like pineapple vodka. And that, so comparing these two and throwing these two and understanding the same person co-wrote and co-produced them, I really think that is Benny Blanco's direct influence, is this like... Pineapple vodka sweat? <laughs> pop grunge sensibility. It's, it's the thing about how like... Christine, it's the Family Guy bit about how Christina Aguilera, you can see the scent lines coming off her. Yeah. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here for that. Yeah. Um, and anybody who looks up or has seen, I'm going to talk about his TV appearances later, anybody who knows what Benny Blanco looks like, he looks like a cave troll. Yeah, I'm looking at a photo of him now and um, gross. <laughs> 
In the years since, Benny Blanco has amassed a total of 29 number one hit songs and is recognized for his achievements with artists including Ed Sheeran, Justin Bieber, The Weeknd, Selena Gomez, Ariana Grande, once again, Britney Spears, Lana Del Rey, Halsey, Camille Caballo. Uh, this guy was inducted into the hall, into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2013, and was iHeartRadio's Producer of the Year in 2017. These are accolades. This man is one year older than me, Andy. Sure. <laughs> I mean, that only makes him. Uh, he's he's four years older than me. I mean, when when he was my age, he had already done most of this shit. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in the middle of my radio television production major, he was being like the youngest songwriter to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And from all accounts, is like a really kind of sweet and humble enough guy. He walked out and the first thing he did was make a joke about how like, I'm a fucking 27 year old. I should probably be waiting your tables. Instead, I'm here accepting this award. Mm. So I, I enjoy him. And I know in the past when you've talked about music producers, it's been a lot about like the, the technical application and the defining fingerprints of their voice on the culture. And and I'm not the biggest pop guy. Certainly I, I enjoy the weekend. You know, I, I like gym class heroes, but none of these are songs I'll necessarily ride or die for. But I think this is just such an extensive collection of artists to be working with and the songs that so much of our specific generation have fallen in love with. Mm-hmm. This is the man behind the curtain. This this is this is quite literally the Cyrano de Bergerac of our pop childhood sensibilities. So I'm looking at um, I, I just pulled him up on Wikipedia and I'm looking up, you know, some of the songs that he has worked on generally. Because what I'm trying to look for here is what is what is his style per se what is the thing that you can kind of mark him for uh i am kind of deliberately moving past his um like starting at, I, i'm trying to yeah. move past the stuff pre-2011 because right. i see a bunch of things here that i know for a fact um I know them as songs that were Dr. Luke joints. Right. So the fact that Benny Blanco is attached to them, like I, I'm, I'm going to leave that um, behind and just kind of focus on the things that he's very much attached to. So I look at things like Payphone by Wiz Khalifa, Moves Like Jagger. Um, oh, he did Diamonds by Rihanna. The thing that immediately, without like sitting down and doing a listen of all these tracks and, you know, taking notes and figuring things out, the thing that stands out to me about most of these songs is big drums. All of these are songs with very, very big drum sounds, artificial drums. Like they're all done with drum machines. Um, but it's very percussion focused and it's actually very percussive non-drum sounds as well. Think about uh, the chorus to Diamonds. I'm going to actually ask you to put a little bit of a drop from Rihanna's Diamonds in here. You and I 
think about that chorus and listen to that melody that is a very boom boom like diamonds in it's very percussive melody so the first thing that pops in my head and then you'd look at something like moves like jagger and that's a very disco-y beat and it swings a little bit more but i think of the verses of that song and that also is kind of a very percussive, melodic approach. Exactly. It's it's very dancey, and it is very focused on that kind of that 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 kind of arrangement structure, sure. where it's not just that your drums have rhythm. It's not just that your bass has rhythm. Your melody is focusing on rhythm. It's uh, it's an old disco trick. So, um, yeah, just looking at a list of these songs and was just them in my head, that's probably the first thing that I would point to as like a stylistic choice that he looks like he's making. Yeah, and, and I would agree with that. And I, even when I'm sitting here in your wheelhouse, I'm never going to be able to talk about it better than you can. Oh, please, you're um, doing great. Oh, well, thank you very much. I more than more than anything, more than getting into the technicalities of his sound, I appreciate this guy for his body of work and. I, I just called him the Cyrano de Bergerac, and I, I think there is something for being like this kind of, nobody would look at this guy on the street and assume that he was a pop god, but he pretty much is. And so I want to lean into how I discovered him and kind of the, the way I fell in love with Benny Blanco is his acting work, Okay, which is very limited but basically he portrays a semi-fictionalized version of himself in the FX sitcom Dave which we've been talking about off and on for about as long as I've been watching the show Uh, for anyone who doesn't know Dave is a sitcom starring and written by the rapper Lil Dicky aka Dave Bird aka the guy who raps about how white and Jewish he is and how like idiosyncratic it is that he's a rapper. Which is very funny because like I, I you look at the Wikipedia entry for Benny Blanco and when <laughs> when you go to his career beginning section, it just goes Blanco, comma, who is Jewish <laughs> and a native of Northern Virginia began producing hip hop instrumentals in his bedroom. <laughs> And recording his own vocals on top of them. And I'm just like, Blanco, who is Jewish? Blanco, who is Jewish? That, which could be the beginning. That sounds like the beginning of a Little Dicky line, even. Oh, yeah, for sure. And um, the, the, the two of them seem to be kind of kindred spirits in real life. Um, their friendship is kind of played up in the show where, you know, it, it, it's about... Dave Bird trying to become a rapper, trying to break out as Lil Dicky. And so at one point he signs with a record label and they're like, okay, great. Are you having trouble writing songs? Go see this guy. And we're introduced to him by uh, Lil Dicky walking into Benny Blanco's mansion and he's just casually like hanging out with Justin Bieber (laughs) and helping him like come up with some song. And immediately it, it, it is I feel like it's got to be a fictionalized version because in the show, Benny Blanco is this like incredibly laid back, incredibly vulgar, like 
I'm so cool and confident, I don't give a fuck about anything, but also I'm going to be really, really, really incredibly weird about how I don't give a fuck about anything. It's a very amusing performance. Um, I think he's one of the highlights of the show. He comes across as incredibly funny. And I love that because the thing is, like, you know, who are the other who are the other producers we've talked about? Um, uh, we've kind of low key talked about Jim Steinman. We, well, we've talked well, about he's Jim a Steinman. songwriter. Uh, Desmond Child, we talked about. Right, we've talked about Desmond Child, and I, I, you know, there's no avenue for a non high key music fan to find out about Desmond Child. Yeah, not really. Not you since know? VH1 stopped doing all their doc shit. Well, exactly. And even then, you would have to be watching a VH1 doc, and you'd have to be the kind of fan who sits down and watch a VH1 doc. Benny Blanco, not of his own accord, really, but through partnering and, and acting as himself on the show, becomes something where people who just want to watch this really good sitcom are then introduced to this guy who is playing himself. So when he talks about how he's made a million and one pop super hits and goes on to like talk about his real life accolades and shows that he's working with Justin Bieber and Ed Sheeran and all this sort of stuff. People go, Oh, Holy shit. Okay. That's really the guy's name. I, I wonder if the rest of this is real. Oh, Holy shit. This guy, this is like a stealth way of actually showing people what a music producer does and can be and like introduce people to the concept that we've talked at length about how it's kind of a tricky concept to get people to wrap their heads around and mm -hmm. i think that's really cool and interesting on top of the fact that the guy is like very fucking funny in the show so there's there's two things i'm i'm intrigued by hearing you say that one is of course the it seems like a music producer is such a ripe thing to just overdraw like that. Because I feel like when most, like I look at this fucking photo of him on Wikipedia and I go, yes, he looks like a garbage monster. He also has, listeners, for me to describe this, he has a suit that is covered in flowers that all look vaguely vaginal a large, like, paisley print bow tie, an enormous jufro, and very clearly manicured five o'clock shadow under what is almost a neck beard. Sure. He looks like a... He looks like the older skeezy cousin going to a bar mitzvah and trying to buy weed from the waitstaff. Yes, and he acts like that. And if the representation of him in the show is any indication, he, millionaire Benny Blanco, would go to a bar mitzvah and buy weed from the waitstaff and then smoke it out with the waitstaff <laughs> like while they're supposed to be waiting tables. Yeah, basically. So it's, and, and the thing is, I hear that and I go, all right, when I think of music producers, there's, there's this whole gamut you can run because you can have the Desmond Child who's just this quiet, self-effacing guy who's just like, okay, 
We're gonna do a second take of that one. Uh, this time, give me like a little bit more power on uh, at the top of the chorus, John Bon Jovi. Um, or you get a Dr. Dre who's gonna like sit there like in the booth with you smoking with you and just being like okay this time just do a real laid back or you get a phil specter who's gonna threaten you with a pistol if you don't do the take right um, <laughs> you have a gamut to work with here it's it's a it's something that is just primed for a kind of comedy yeah the other thing that this makes me think of your description makes me think of and this is in a similar vein i never watched entourage but from what I have understood of, from people who have watched Entourage and have described it for me, when they have celebrity appearances on Entourage, everyone basically plays this, like, taken to the most ridiculous, extreme exaggeration of themselves. Right. Where, like, James Cameron is going to do Avatar, but he's going to do it for an Aquaman movie. And he's, like, obsessive about it. Right. And, you know, there are, there are people who have done those kinds. I think I think of Josh Groban appearing on Glee. And he's basically playing a version of Josh Groban who is really into, like, fucking moms. And, like, it's just that's just a thing for him. I think that was on Glee. So this idea of this heightened belly, Benny Blanco, and, yes, that being... An exaggeration, but an exaggeration of something that is very exigent in a sitcom that is able to have the space to allow Benny Blanco to play himself. I find that just rife for comedy. I feel like that is, you can milk that concept for a decade if you do it tastefully enough. Right, and so like to to disabuse the notion that he is just playing, I I keep saying he's playing a fictionalized version of himself, to disabuse the notion that he is just acting incredibly overly wacky and against how he actually is, this is a man who I know in real life after he appeared on Dave uh, fans started sending him sex toys in the mail. (laughs) Just like started mailing him giant dildo and the guy took all of them and has created a room in his mansion that is his dildo room that he just like comes in and like casually remarks on like it's a fucking high concept art piece um uh, the other thing uh, you can find benny blanco on tiktok and he has a a famous feud going on with uh singer charlie pooth who i don't know the work of but is some like you know you beyond our generation pop singer charlie Pooh, i guess goes on tiktok and makes a lot of like oh what if you made a song that was like and then it transitions to his song that does that benny blanco will stitch these videos will comment on these videos and go hey charlie Pooh, how about you ate my asshole with some gravy like <laughs> what if we did that <laughs> and that's that's benny blanco <laughs> like all right, it kind of just, I mean, honestly, it sounds like something I would do if I had money and clout. <laughs> right, so, like, of course, he's he is a humble enough guy to accept some prestigious award and make a joke about how, like, oh, I should be waiting, I, I should be waiting your tables. But he's also, like, a fun enough guy and a, a creative, eccentric enough figure to 
have these incredibly bizarre but amusing Twitter uh, TikTok fights with other creators and collaborators. I was going to say, like, I'm looking at his Wikipedia. Charlie Puth, like, he's worked with Charlie Puth. Like, he's done, he's done songs with him. Right. Like, so I think he's... Just sounds like he's trolling. Yeah, I'm sure he probably is, and just having a great big old laugh. The guy, the guy seems just fun. Like, there's pictures of him like hugging uh, Dave Bird at the premiere of Dave, like it's a prom photo, and just shit like that. And I just, I, I love this disgusting-looking little cave troll of a man who has more money than I will ever see in my lifetime and has done more with his life than I probably ever could. I have great respect for this guy. I enjoy this guy. This, to me, seems like a story of somebody who had a passion as a kid, pursued that, got all the right breaks, got lucky, but then managed to achieve his dream and is basically just going to be cool and goof around for the rest of his life. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think there's something to go, you know what? Good for you, Benny Blanco. You know what this makes me think of? This is like what would happen. This was what I wanted for Post Malone. Yes. Like, I, if y'all if, if y'all have been around for a bit, like, I did a whole segment on Post Malone. And I basically said, listen, Post Malone is a great hook writer. But he is a garbage person and a terrible rapper and a terrible songwriter. And I just have no interest in his. And now he's trying to transition over into more of a rock country sound. Yeah. And it's just like, I fucking hate you. Oh, he's going to be the next Kid Rock. Very possibly. Uh, If if MGK doesn't beat him there first. Um, But uh, I said in that episode, I'm like, listen, if Post Malone had taken the exact same path, but instead of going and writing these songs for himself and doing and doing all the bullshit that Post Malone eventually did, if he just hung back and was a songwriter and maybe even a producer, if all he did was like be in Drake's songwriting camp because yeah. Drake keeps like a bunch of people on retainer to help him write songs uh, or to write his songs for him, if he was just like in that group and was like just pitching hooks for Dre and and songs for Dr- for Dr- not Dre Drake, um, if he was just pitching songs for Drake and and doing all that, I would have no problems with Post Malone. I'd be like, that's totally fine. Benny Blanco is doing that. Yeah. He is not himself taking center stage, but he is coming in doing great work with other artists and then just being fun beyond that. Yeah. And I am here for that life. I am here for that existence. I'm here for the record producer who has a millennial sense of humor because from everything you're telling me, this sounds very much like that kind of millennial sense of humor. Very much so, yeah. And does dope shit, is is happy to be in this pop realm, works with cool artists, um, disassociates himself from the shit that's in his past that really, really sucks and does dope shit. Yeah. So I think that sums it up succinctly. Benny Blanco is the theoretical optimization of Post Malone. 
I was really happy just to talk about this guy, especially after learning that you did not, you had not heard of him and was unaware. No. I love that the the same guy who is arguably the defining voice of the mid aughts pop super generation also has a YouTube cooking show called Matt and Benny Eat Out America. This sounds like an entourage script, Andy. <laughs> it really does. And, and maybe it is, but if it is, that means Benny Blanco's living an entourage script, so... You know what? I'm, I'm not mad about it. I appreciate learning about this. I think that Benny Blanco was a name that I probably saw among, like, nine other co-writers on Dr. Luke songs, and sure. I was just like, oh, sure. That's probably just, like the person who helped him put together the bass lines or I don't know, an engineer who and who contributed some ideas. Like I didn't think that hard about it. I get it. And I really had never heard his name singled out. So I appreciate learning about another producer. I appreciate you again. Step into my wheelhouse, please. I, I know I say it all the time. I'm the music guy. You're the movie guy, but I've talked about movies and you talk about music and we both like I want to keep contributing to each other's catalogs in this podcast that way. I appreciate it. And maybe I'll watch Dave at some point. Listeners, Dave is so much more than you're prepared for. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Do you want to get into the hate? Yep, I'm down for it. So, Andy, um, starting in here, dear boy, very simple, straightforward question. When you were growing up, how were you socialized to view pit bulls, if they were singled out at all for you? Um, I don't think my parents or my family ever, one way or the other, like, took a stance on pit bulls. But media lumped them into the same category as Rottweilers and Dobermans. Mm -hmm. These are the dogs that you get to fuck somebody up. These mm -hmm. are the dogs you have on a giant chain in the county dump to like fend off people stealing the garbage and shit. These were, these are scary animals and, mm. and they need to be regarded as such. I appreciate you pointing out that that was coming not from your family, but from a broader association. I remember, like, I never really encountered any pit bulls when I was growing up. Um, but friend of the show, David, um, what's up, David? I know you listening. Uh, I remember when we were kids, um, him telling me about like how pit bulls get a bad rap. Mm -hmm. How, um, cause, cause you know, I, I like you, like the association I always remember for an aggro dog was a Rottweiler. I don't know where that came from. That was probably some movies or TV shows, but I always remember like Rottweilers. Those are the scary attack dogs. Right. I heard, and later I also heard things like German Shepherds, Doberman Pinchers, um, and to a certain degree, pit bulls being included in that as well. Like these are these are your attack dogs. These are the when when Mr. Burns releases the hounds. 
Right. These are these are the ones that are in there, even though I don't think those dogs are modeled on any particular breed individually. Well, it's funny because I'm really trying to rack my brain now because it's like it's like, yeah, Dobermans were the things that were gonna kill Oliver and company, so they're scary. Mm-hmm. Um I remember the sand lot, and the whole thing is there's a big scary dog in the other lot in the sand lot, and I'm trying. I think that's like a boxer. I don't even think that's a pit bull, but it, it might have been. And maybe I don't think it was from. a pit bull. I I'm actually gonna. What breed was the beast in Sandlot? English Mastiff. Yeah. Okay. And you know what? Actually, I think about it, and I I look at that, and I go Mastiff. Okay, that was that was a dog that I saw. Like in cartoons, I think um, I think in fucking Road Rovers, Muzzle was a Mastiff, if I remember correctly. Like the big, crazy, violent dog. Oh, God, yeah. I was about to say, I don't even catch that reference, but no, I remember Road Rovers. Yeah, yeah, so. Pork and scratch and frisbee catch and presidential pets. That's us. Change into the canines who drive souped up cars and jets. Coming through. But I remember pit bulls being in this conversation. But the thing that was always unique to me was I never heard about Rottweilers being banned places. Sure. I never heard about German Shepherds being banned. I'd hear things like, oh, this, I live in an apartment. Like, I'd talk to an older cousin or something and be like, oh, yeah, I live in an apartment. They don't allow any dogs over 50 pounds. Right. Okay, I understand. But I would hear no pit bulls and nothing over 50 pounds. And I go, why pit bulls? Like, that's, why are they singled out here? It was always very confusing to me. And I remember David telling me, like, yeah, people shit on pit bulls all the time. And I don't understand why. But, you know, this, I've had way worse encounters with this or that. I got bit by a dog when I was seven. And that was a fucking chihuahua. Like, mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, the scariest dog I ever personally encountered was my neighbor across the street and my friend's um, Scottish Terrier that was a fucking demon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I believe it. So I appreciate that background there. Um, To get into my topic, and I'm just titling this Pitbull Discrimination. Sure. So basic background. If you're, you know, if you don't know much about dog breeds, I'll be honest, I still probably don't there's a lot of, a lot of times people will name dog breeds and i'm like i have no mental image of that i still don't know what the fuck a healer is supposed to look like uh pit bulls are a dog breed historically descended from terriers and bulldogs um specifically english bulldogs which uh in the 19th century were primarily bred for dog fighting um, pit bulls similarly were bred for this purpose, the idea being to match the muscularity of the bulldogs yeah. already being used in things like dog fights and bear baiting and things like that with the agility of terriers. Right. And just to complete the mental image for anybody and, and to bring up this point, part of the whole thing about pit bulls as a breed is that they are notoriously jacked dogs they are like giant and it's all muscle yeah like you will find bigger dogs there there are plenty of breeds that are bigger pit bulls grow especially purebred ones grow to a pretty good large size 
but yeah, you're right. You just you see them running or you see them just like standing there, and it is insane the muscularity on these dogs. Right. Which they're bred for. Now, in most of the world, pit bulls, specifically pit bulls, carry this discriminatory stigma as being an inherently violent breed that is more prone to aggression than just about any other dog breed. Right. So, you, what, what was the one you said was the scariest dog you ever encountered? A Scottish Terrier. Okay. The, for you, it was a Scottish Terrier. The only dog to ever bite me was a Chihuahua. I do not know that many personal stories that I've had. This is pure anecdotal. I know, you know, that, and, and I'm sure that there's someone listening here who can relay a story of having a bad encounter with a pit bull. There are people out there who say like, oh, pit bulls are the most gentle breed there is. That's a flawed statement in its own right. I'll, and I'll get into that. But I will say for my, for, for me and for most of the people I interact with, I don't hear stories about pit bulls actually attacking anybody. Yeah. Like, it's not a thing that I ever have really significantly encountered in my life. Main reason I hate pit bull discrimination, I have a few, but first and foremost is that it is absolute BS. As recently as the 80s and 90s, there were multiple studies conducted by the CDC and the Humane Society which referenced pit bulls as responsible for up to a third of fatal dog attacks. And that's big and scary. Yeah. That is that, and that, you hear that and you might go, okay, well clearly there's something to do with this breed. Recent review of these studies though, have shown that the methodologies for them have been really grossly unscientific and poorly conducted. Case in point, they don't really do a good job of accounting for mixed breedings. And a lot of the methodologies operated from a standpoint of if it's got pit bull in it. Then it's pit bull for the purpose of the study. Exactly. Without necessarily making the same adjustments in other spots. And in other, in other spots, it's aggregated data. So it is, let's take the number of dog attacks that happen in this one particular area. And I'll get into this later, but pit bulls happen to be very popular with certain communities, certain communities that have skin that looks a certain way. Yep. And they go, okay, well, clearly this is the community where all the dog attacks are happening. Let's see what the aggregate numbers show. The aggregate numbers show a whole lot of pit bulls, but they're not accounting for the percentage of pit bulls in those populations. And then they extrapolate that data into a more global sense. So these recent reviews have basically gone here and said, this is, th th this is not accurate reporting. A 2014 meta-analysis of all of these various dog breed aggression studies found that, honestly, breed is a terrible predictor of aggression in dogs. Uh, as compared to metrics like Household composition. If you live in a household that has more people in it, there are more likely to be issues with a dog attack. Right. 
especially if they're highly disparate ages. If you live in a household with a lot of very, very young children, you are more likely to have not just a dog attack, but a fatal dog attack. If you live in a household with a lot of older people, you are more likely to have a dog attack. That one confuses me a little bit, I'm not gonna lie, but that is something that's borne out in the data. Um, really, the, the households that have the fewest dog attacks are the ones that are one or two people, like maybe a married couple or maybe a married couple with a kid who's probably older than 10. Right. That's where you're really not. And uh, another thing, economic factors. Dog attacks happen more in poorer families, in poorer areas, in poorer households. People will say, why does that happen? The reasons for that are fairly obvious. If you have a lot of money, you probably have money to invest in quality food, obedience training. Right. You can spend more time with your animals and devote that time to good training, to making sure that they feel loved and cared for, to making them feel safe, versus if you are in an economically disenfranchised place, the dogs might be alone because you're working long hours. You might not have the resources to do obedience training, to spend that time caring for that dog in a way that the shit that causes them to attack people doesn't happen. That is regardless of breed. Right. I think the other factor, especially to assign to economics, is the idea of your dog has a house and a yard that are its, and if it goes to the park or something, you know, it's a, it's a great shared space, but it's also neutral territory versus, say, an apartment complex where you can have dozens of dogs who, as far as those dogs are concerned, that apartment complex is their home, and the other dozens of dogs in the apartment complex are all vaguely intruding. You know, the closer in you get, the less space you have, especially for a bigger dog, especially for a dog that you're going to take out and walk a couple of times a day. You are just mathematically exponentially multiplying the risk factor of there being any sort of confrontation, no matter about dog breed. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know that there is a person in my apartment complex who keeps two Siberian Huskies in an apartment. And I don't know if this person has a two or a three bedroom apartment, but I know my apartment complex offers two and three bedroom apartments. And I don't give a shit if you have a three bedroom apartment. It's too fucking small for two Siberian Huskies. Yeah who need to go outside in order to A, get exercise, B, fucking piss and shit, you know. And C, for huskies especially, but I think for all dogs to an extent, not go insane from boredom. Exactly. And those are the things that tend to correlate more towards aggression. It's not that pit bulls are the most gentle dogs that have ever existed. There's no such thing as the most gentle breed. It, the most gentle breed is the dog that is taken care of and socialized early on for that. Yeah. And who also just happens to have that kind of personality. Dogs, much like humans, some of them are just assholes. 
Whenever I've heard people say like, there's no such thing as, you know, an asshole dog. It's about the person who raised them. That's like saying there's no such thing as an asshole child. It just matters who raises them. It's a big factor. It's maybe the biggest factor. It is also not the only factor. Some people are assholes. Some dogs are assholes, but breed is not the major factor there. That's just a pit bull featuring Ludacris. He won't hurt you guys, will you featuring Ludacris? Aren't you a good featured artist? He's grumpy, because he has a rare medical condition that makes him aware of his own existence. What this kind of thinking about pit bulls has frequently resulted in is them being banned from localities and rental units. And the statistics show that doing so has had absolutely no effect on the number of dog attacks in the area. The idea is if you ban pit bulls, because pit bulls are a third of fatal dog attacks, that they are a huge percentage. There's one, there was one study that said they were the second most violent dog breed after German Shepherds. Right. And the idea is, okay, let's just get rid of the violent dogs. You would think that that would result in fewer dog attacks, but the fact is, those same people who had pit bulls that were in bad situations that caused them to attack people, well, now they just have a German Shepherd there, or a Labrador there, or any other dog breed experiencing the same bullshit, and the number of dog attacks doesn't change. Something a bit more undercut is the implicit racism that comes from pit bull discrimination. This is where I knew we were coming. <laughs> Why? Because you've heard me yell about it? Well, no. This one is, like, I think a fairly transparent and, and widely recognized instance of non-implicit racism. You know, I don't know how recognized it is. Because I've even seen woke-ass people who don't necessarily make this connection. Hmm. Like, honestly, it's and, and, and not to, you know, I, I touched on it a little bit, but in the U.S., pit bulls are a dog breed frequently adopted in African-American communities, especially low income ones. The reasons for this are a giant matrix. And I I'm not going to dive too deeply into it. You can do the reading on it. I, I And I'm not diving into it because I don't feel confident in my ability to um, discuss it from a historical perspective and it not be easily interpreted as me stereotyping because sure. it is very easy to be like pit bulls are a black dog like no that's that's too easily extrapolated downward well but I think that's what a lot of people do as a arbitrary discriminatory control metric I, I straight up think that the reason pit bulls are the one of the few specified breeds on a lot of apartment rental agreements is the fact that it is a, a free, arbitrary metric you can put in place of if we do this, we aren't going to get as many poor African-American applicants. Yeah, it's the same reason, and I, I'm probably gonna do this as a separate hate topic one day, but it's the same reason why there are employers and private schools that state that you 
need to have certain hair restrictions. Yeah. That in your workplace, you need to have, quote unquote, a professional haircut. And a professional haircut does not include culturally appropriate hairstyles for black people. You can't have dreads, despite the fact that dreads are not only common, but practical and intelligent. You can't have afros. You can't have natural black hair in a lot of workplaces, which again, it's, oh, we're not discriminating against black people. We just want to make sure that we maintain a professional look. And that completely does not examine what that a professional look is a white look. Right. The idea of banning pit bulls is it going to take away all of your applications from black people? No, but it chips away at that. It creates an easy way to be like, okay, I am not denying your application because you have an African sounding name or because you have black skin. I am denying it because, oh, our rules say no pit bulls and your application says that you have a nine-year-old pit bull. Exactly. And that is just, you know, that for the safety of our residents, I think it's best that you leave. And I do not see that talked about enough. A very dear friend of mine has a pit bull and she is a white woman, but she, I have watched her when moving complaining about how difficult it is for her to find housing because she has this pit bull rescue. And she did not adopt this pit bull with the idea of, oh, I'm going to, you know, as a white woman stand up against the racism that pit bull owner. Like, she's like, no, I went to a shelter and fell in love with a dog. Yeah. Like it's, and, and that dog happened to be a pit bull and she didn't have, oh, pit bulls are dangerous in her head. But she, a white woman, struggles with this shit because of this pit bull banning. It's it's a situation where that racism even hurts non-black people. The same way so much racism does. Well, and winds up hurting the dogs. Yeah. Um, go to any uh, shelter in America and I guarantee you the most popular breed of available dog will be a pit bull. You know, there's a, a question that I don't think we necessarily have time to fully dive into of where th this is an incredibly popular breed and this is a breed that has been stigmatized for decades now and has not gone away. So pit bulls are still being bred only to wind up in shelters and therefore euthanized therefore euthanized you know there's the um question of why are they being bred and trying to get into american dog fighting is a whole other different discussion yeah but like these are sentient creatures who are of themselves being victim like this is dog racism yeah these are sentient creatures who can't control what breed they are and instead are put in these incredibly unfortunate positions. And that sucks. It's a dog. Yeah. And, and again, it's this notion, this ignorant-ass notion. It's for safety. It's because pit bulls are dangerous. It's because they're more violent. It's because they're bad around children. Poodles are bad around children. Yeah. 
chow chows, which are like the uh, the super fluffy Chinese breed of dogs. Those are horrible around children. I I was told by my parents, oh no, stay the hell away from that dog. That dog will mess you up. And yeah. it was a chow. Yeah. And and some and here's the thing. It's not, and I'm not undercutting my thing about breeds in that, when I say that, there are breeds that for how they work, for what they were bred for, are more inclined towards certain attachment styles. Right. Pit bulls tend to attach themselves to their owners very closely. They get separation anxiety when their owners are gone in a way that other dog breeds struggle with less. Now, does that mean that there aren't pit bulls that absolutely don't give a fuck about their owners? I mean, again, a dog is their own personality. A breed is not indicative of everything. A chow, there are chows who are legitimately going to be great with children, especially if they were raised from the go with children around right. and are socialized for that to be the thing. But some of these things are self, self-fulfilling property, prophecies, and at the end of the day, they all continue to stress the point. Pit bulls are not any significantly more dangerous than any other dog breed inherently. You talk about shelters. You talk about the availability of pit bulls. This was the final point that I wanted to make, and it's and it's a personal one. Um, I came up with the idea for this topic because Stephanie was joking around with me and was like, oh, you should do a love about how much you love Nico and how much you love being a dog dad. And I'm like, I don't think that's going to be an interesting topic, but something that I can talk about. I'm pretty sure that Nico has some pit in him. Any of you who followed, you know, mine or Stephanie's Instagram and have seen photos of him or hell, Andy and Moe's Instagrams because they post photos of him too. You see Nico's face. I'm pretty sure he's got some. He's a he is a complete mutt. Absolutely. But I'm pretty sure he has some pit in him. Yeah. When we were looking for a dog, we we searched online. We didn't go to a shelter and just decide to pick one up. We were looking at various different adoption places and seeing online postings and reading up. And he was listed in the posting as an Australian cattle dog. And it, uh, I'm going to ask you, pull up a picture of an Australian cattle dog and tell me the differences between my dog and an Australian cattle dog. Yeah, so listeners, um, in case you don't know what Alex's dog Nico looks like, Nico is white. Nico has ears that fold forward. Nico has uh, brown freckles kind of running down his back and um, on the skin of his belly. You look up an Australian cattle dog, they are gray or brown or gray with brown. I've never seen a white one. Don't see a white one on the images here. Their ears stick straight up. There is some freckle going on in the in the dog's coat. I will give them that. Um, Nico is a very big dog. Nico is a dog that like 
He's 66 pounds. He's 66 pounds and looks like it's pure muscle. Nico, we've we've all joked that Nico is absolutely jacked and swole as hell. <laughs> um, cattle dogs, by comparison, look a little smaller and certainly don't look like their calves are about to explode out of sheer, like, force. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean... Australian cattle dog is a pretty creative uh, assigning for for your pooch. Is it beyond the pale that Nico could have some Australian cattle dog in him? It is not beyond the pale, no. Yeah, there might be some in there. But if there is any Australian cattle dog in him, it is not the main thing. We also thought because of his stripe patterns, he might have a little collie in him. Um, Stephanie also thinks there's probably a little bit of retriever in him, some pointer, probably some hound. He is a mutt. He's an absolute mutt. But there is very clear pit in him. Yeah. And I am almost certain that the wonderful people at Mountain Pet Rescue in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, or in Canton, North Carolina, did not want to list him as having any pit because they knew that it would be an automatic no from a lot of people browsing their site. Right. And Nico is incredibly sweet. He is very attached. He gets severe separation anxiety, yes. But he's a good-ass dog. He's incredibly well-trained. I absolutely adore him. If I had seen that he had pit in him, best believe it wouldn't have bothered me but when i went to my apartment complex to register him they were like okay what breed is he and i am like he's an absolute mutt the shelter said australian cattle dog and they looked at me with like a little bit of a cockeye and i said oh we also think he might have some lab and some collie in him and they're like i'm just gonna put lab does my dog look like a fucking lab andy not really (laughs) so it's, it's, I have the well-meaning, lovely, wonderful people at my dog adoption agency, I'm pretty sure lying to people because they know how good this dog is and they know that it's probably not going to get adopted if they are honest and say, he's a big old fucking mutt, but we're pretty sure there's some pit in there. Right. A drop of pit. Because if there's a drop of pit, then he's a pit bull. Exactly. Just like, you know, if you had a drop of black blood at a certain point, you were black. Didn't matter what your skin looked like. Mm. And I hate that. Yeah. I don't know anything about Nico's real background. I don't even know. We know he's roughly two and a half years old. We know he came from Madison County, North Carolina. We know he uh, shouldn't be in a home with cats. That's about all the info we have on his background. We don't even know why he shouldn't be with cats. I don't even know if it's that the cats don't like him or he doesn't like the cats. I really have no idea. But what I know is I see this dog who I love, who's incredible, who could be a fantastic dog for anybody. And I'm pretty sure if they were honest about what they saw in his breed, he wouldn't get looked at. And that fucking pisses me off. Deservedly so. So, pit bull discrimination. The thing I will ask all of you, if this is not something you've ever thought that much about, or if you even agreed with it at one point and said, you know, obviously, you know, pit bull banning makes sense. They're a violent dog. I want you to question that. 
It's not that pit bulls are more or less violent than any other breed. It's that breed is a stupid predictor. Breed is a great predictor for health issues. Sure. Breed is a helpful predictor for possible issues you might encounter behaviorally. Breed is a terrible predictor of actual behavior or risk factors for dog attacks. The best thing to do is to just make sure your dog is taken care of, well-trained, well-disciplined, well-fed, well-exercised, and you will almost certainly have a pretty fucking good dog. And leave pit bulls the fuck alone. Absolutely. I know you have a good one. (sighs) Shall we move on to our question? Let's go ahead and do that. All right, you read the format. So I think this one actually didn't come from relationships.txt. I think it came from Am I the Asshole? That's right. We're expanding. All right. So I'm I'm just going to read here. Our writer, by the way, is a 20-year-old female. And the guy referenced here is a 22-year-old male. Whew. There was this guy who I have gone on a few dates with in the past couple of months. He's nice, and so far we've only progressed to going on public dates, but about a week ago, we finally decided to have a nice date at my place. Since it was going to be at my place, I let him know before that I was on my period because I wasn't sure what expectations he had or where his boundaries were yet, and we agreed to just have nice takeout dinner and watch a movie. He comes over, and we eat, then sit down on the couch to pick a movie when he says that it sucked that I was on my period. Then he said how he thought it was so strange that women give birth through the vagina, but have periods from their butts. This was completely un- this was a completely unprompted statement from him, and I'm still not sure how we got on this topic, to be honest. I asked him what he meant by that, and he said again exactly what he had said before. I kind of smiled, assuming he was very much just joking, and said, Oh yeah, so weird, thinking that he was going to start laughing soon to end the joke. He didn't, and instead started to talk about how his first and only girlfriend he'd had in high school, uh, and how she used to complain about bad, quote, period poops all the time. At this point, I asked him if he's being serious, and he looked a little confused and says he is. I asked him to explain how he came to that conclusion, and he explained that his first experience being around periods was the high school girlfriend, and before then, he had never received or seen much information. He understood it was something that happened inside the body and that blood came out, quote, somewhere, but assumed it came out of the vagina until he heard her complaining and realized it actually came out of the butt. It was very unexpected coming from a 22-year-old man. I somehow managed to keep my composure when I told him that periods do in fact come out of the vagina and not butts. He looked confused and then a little frustrated and started insisting to me that was wrong and kept saying, are you sure, as if I was confused about where it came out of my own body. I explained to him the anatomy a bit and how it worked, but he was very adamant. Eventually he conceded that most women must have periods like that, but some, hence his ex-girlfriend, have their periods from their butts. He just could not understand, no matter how many times I tried to explain it to him, that he had just simply come to the wrong conclusion and misinterpreted his girlfriend's words. The whole situation became so much that I started to laugh. I was doubled over, clutching my stomach, crying, laughing over this whole debacle, and he sat there red-faced, continuing to try and argue with me. Eventually, he said he was ready to leave and did before we could watch a movie. 
I felt bad for laughing after he left because I could tell that had been when he decided to leave. And he also texted me later that night to say he had done a little research, quote, on his own and that he was no longer interested in pursuing any sort of relationship because he couldn't stand to be with someone who laughed at someone for, quote, not understanding. Am I the asshole? So we need a name. You never watched Bridgerton, did you? I have not seen it yet, no. Okay, um, it is, uh, this is just a suggestion, and I'm open to any ideas you have, uh, but it is a plot point in Bridgerton that um, some of the characters really just have no idea how bodies or sex or pregnancy work. Sure. And... Like, no one bothers to explain it to them because they're prim and proper and, like, really and, and really just, you know, don't talk about such things. So, I could conceivably pull a Bridgerton section That's on here. better than anything I've got, man. Yeah? Okay, so, this will involve some, um... Gender swapping. As it always does. Yeah. But that means that our question asker would be uh, Simon, also known as the Duke. And our boyfriend, who doesn't understand what's going on, is Daphne Bridgerton. Okay. Yes, of course there is more to marriage. Physical and intangible. Both. Both. But how can something be both physical and intangible when they are indeed quite the opposite? So, to get direct and up front, I don't think Simon is the asshole. I... I think society failed Daphne, the boyfriend in this case. But, uh... Certainly a lot of that could be put on Daphne themselves. You know, I just... I read this question and counted how many times in my head I had a a sex education class in school. And more than just a class, like, I had to take health and anatomy courses for, like, chunks of entire semesters. And it's very clear that either... Daphne did not have to do that or just simply never paid attention in those kinds of classes or was, you know, failed by their education system and even their parents a little bit to have a full explanation on what exactly is going on with a period. For the best thing to be like, yeah, my ex-girlfriend said a thing about pooping and poop comes from the butt, so therefore periods must come from the butt, is very, 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 very simplistic. Um, You know, uh, this guy, to sit there and try to double down and stick to his guns and basically say, okay, well, some some women must have periods of the butt. To a woman, to say that to a woman who is correcting his uh, incorrect notion and then to get, like, upset about being laughed at over something that is ludicrously wrong... And then to go ahead and throw a pity party and be like, yeah, we can't date because you laughed at me. 
over this very stupid notion that I was carrying. No, I I, I don't think da- I don't think Simon's the asshole. I'm debatable about even Daphne being the asshole, but I I think mostly, mostly, (laughs) I think mostly the asshole is the failing American sexual health education education system. So I have a similar but slightly different take. Uh, I agree with you. Our education system is absolute bullshit. Um, I say this as someone, I think I've talked about this on the show, like, I have done some sex ed in my time, uh, and it's, it's astonishing that not only are there men who don't understand how period works, periods work, there are women who don't understand it. Like, as far as explaining the biological processes, depending on where you grew up, and, yes, who your family is, because there are families that do a shit job of teaching anything about this, or saying anything about periods beyond, here's how you, here's what you do to put in a tampon, expect this to happen once a month until you're in your late 60s. Like, there's, there's, that is there. Um, and there are people who don't get any more instruction than that. And what's more, they're socialized not to even ask any questions beyond that. Sure. So I have that sympathy. I do. Um, I get it being really funny that this dude does not. Let me be clear. I don't necessarily... I I get where Daphne is coming from being so upset at being laughed at for not knowing something that should be obvious. Um, And here's the thing. Not about periods, but about other topics. I have been that asshole. And I'm using that term deliberately. I've been the asshole who has laughed at people for not knowing something that should be obvious. And a lot of the time, when you laugh at someone who should know something like that what you are doing is shaming them for not having had as good an education as yours. That could, that could be an academic education. That Again, that could be a familial education. Are you someone who was taught, hey, this is how a period works. This is what it is to be shedding a vaginal lining. This is why cramps happen. This is this and this. Or are you someone who's just like, put this inside of yourself and hide your shame? Like... This is, there is a spectrum to this. Some people don't even get that. Some people don't even get the put something inside yourself and hide your shame. And they have to entirely learn that in a health class in a poorly funded public school. Because my public school education did a shit job of teaching that. Sure. I learned all, I learned this stuff by like legitimately going on the internet and reading Wikipedia and other assorted means of learning things because I wanted to be educated about it. So that is kind of an asshole move. That said, Daphne's kind of a piece of shit, as you stated, for this whole, well, you know, the conclusion that I drew clearly must have some validity. So some of them get it from their butts, obviously. That has to be the case. And then he goes home and does his research, which proves that he's wrong. Right. And he's like, yeah, I don't want to be with you because you laughed at me. It's two separate things. It was shitty of you to laugh at him like this. Homie deserves some grace and some caring there. That said, Homie is also kind of being a piece of shit. 
with his defensiveness. You're dealing with a very insecure person, a person who clearly feels a lot of shame about how incurious he is because he just came up with this notion and ran with it. And then when that notion is questioned or corrected even a little bit, he doubles down and then is for, you know, no pun intended, but hurt when his research shows him to be wrong. Right. Um, first off, good riddance on this relationship. Honestly, I don't think you should pursue it. Does, you, y'all weren't together. Y- y'all didn't do that much. You said it was a few months of a relationship. He's 22. Eh. How many times have you said it, Andy? It's like, oh, a relationship's been, you, you've been together for eight months? It cut the cord. Like, yeah, you're, you're going to be fine. You'll find love again. Both of you will. And certainly Daphne might be a little better for it at this point. And you know what? To take your point to heart about having grace for uh, a lack of somebody's understanding and, and not just uh, shaming them in a way that could come across as hurtful, maybe Slavin will be a little better the next time somebody just comes in with a patently, ridiculously wrong take on what is a standard part of life for, you know, any female presenting person alive. Yeah. So basically, you're both the asshole. Who is the bigger asshole is up for debate, but you're both the asshole. And learn from this. You can be kinder. You can be more graceful. You are also not responsible for the education of dudes. Like, it would be perfectly acceptable for you to be like, I'm going to need you to Google how periods work, like, right now. Yeah. Yeah. I guarantee you, like... Like if you if you go to YouTube, I, I'm literally just okay. I, as we are on here, YouTube. How do this is gonna mess up my entire algorithm? <laughs> how do periods work? There is a four minute and forty six second video from Ted Ed on how why do women have periods. There is a separate one from the same people. Um, that is four minutes and 12 seconds that says how menstruation works. There's one from Glamour that says, this is your period in two minutes. You can learn roughly everything you need to know as a dude with about uh, with about mm, 11 minutes of content there. That is less than an episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Right there. And you could you just like type that into YouTube, you'll be good to go. We live in a wonderful age for it. You would have been perfectly welcome to let him know that and just left it there. Yeah. So don't be afraid to tell people to Google shit. You are kind of an asshole, but so is he. Good riddance. Maybe that could be a good first date question. I need you to explain to me what you think happens when people have periods because I once dated a guy who thought that women have it in the butt. If, if nothing else, it's certainly something you can dine out on. Maybe not on first dates. But. I, I love that you said dine out on and not eat out on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I already made my uh, my funny eat out joke with Benny Blanca. <laughs> that has been Love Hate Relationship, dear listeners. If you have a relationship question, if you want to find out who is the asshole, if you uh, hear about somebody or you, know, you have a work dispute, uh, an issue with a pet, uh, 
um, really anything, we are happy to take those questions in at love hate relationship podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter, and we promise we'll read them. That's right. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even TuneIn Radio. Hey, Mom. Uh, you can also rate and or review us on any and or all of those platforms. We're told it helps people find the show. Yep. You can also, you know, tweet at us, see what we're following uh, on Twitter at LHRPod. That's L-H-R-P-O-D. Uh, send us questions. If you see something on Am I the Asshole or Relationships.txt or fuck, just a Twitter exchange where like someone puts up a thing where they're like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Or Tumblr. Do people still use Tumblr, Andy? I think people still do, but we absolutely don't. Yeah. Uh, you know, you find anything there, just send it over to us. We're, we're always interested. Same thing with topics. We're always happy to get topic uh, suggestions from y'all. That's right. Um, you can find my other projects uh, everywhere you can find LHR. I have Cult Fiction, which is the cult movie podcast I do with the incomparable Stephanie Johnson. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at JovoCop2113. And I've made a new Twitter account, which is nothing but my little model painting adventures. And you can find that at Andy Paints Minis. Is there an underscore somewhere in there? Or? So the, the tag is Andy's underscore minis. That's that's so precious. I know. I'm never going to have a good handle. It's just easy to remember. It's better than JovoCop. I love you. That's fair. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and chess.com and Lychess at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z. Thanks for listening, y'all. We love you dearly. Please, as ever, tell your enemies. 